The Lymphoma Voices podcast brings you a series of conversations around topics of interest for people affected by lymphoma, the fifth most common cancer in the UK. Hello, my name's Anne and I work for Lymphoma Action and I'm delighted to be joined today by Sarah and Emma who are going to talk about Sarah's diagnosis. Would you like to introduce yourselves? My name is Emma Forbes. I'm a broadcaster. I actually live on the west coast of America. I have done for the last three years, which is where I live and work, and I'm with my family. And I am here today because my sister was diagnosed with lymphoma. And so we've come to have a chat about all of that. And my name is Sarah Standing. Um, I've been a journalist for 30 years and I own a children's toy shop and I live in London with my husband. I've got three children, none of whom live with me because they're grown up. Lovely. Welcome. Um, can we ask about your relationship before Sarah's diagnosis? Can you tell a bit about the impact this has had on you both and, and the relationship you had before? So my sister and I are six years apart, which is huge when you're growing up. And then when you're grown up, it sort of doesn't matter at all. And I would say that um, we've always had the most amazing relationship, really. We're incredibly close and we're incredibly different. We're the yin and yang of sisters, which is, I think, our recipe for a lot of success. But we share a common thread of good humour and a sort of undying love and loyalty between each other. That, that means that wherever I've been in the world, I have never doubted that connection and I guess in very challenging times like 2020 was um, you know it was ever more prevalent really because I guess we spoke even more than we did normally which was a lot even you know sort of living abroad and stuff and we really I guess went through it together because it had such a you know whatever impacts her impacts me I mean we'll talk more about it later but the day she was diagnosed I actually got physical pain like it we're that close. Mm. Sarah did you want to add anything? Um, yes I'd say I'd exactly echo what Emma had said um, we are incredibly close we're incredibly different uh, I'm the eldest so I effectively left home when Emma was 10 um, but we are incredibly close and uh, it was quite difficult for me, when Emma moved to America, I mean, it was a huge gap in my life. And thank God for, you know, FaceTime and, and Zoom calls and things like that. And I, I have been to spend some time with her in the summer and she comes back two or three times a year or did before 2020, which was wonderful. Um, but no, it's, it's, it, we've always been incredibly close once we've grown up. Sarah, can you explain what made you think that something was amiss health-wise? I've taken antibiotics about six times in my life and I've always had incredible energy and touch wood have hardly ever been ill. And I felt one day out of the blue, I was running up and down the stairs working at my shop and I suddenly felt very breathless, which is something I'd never felt before. And um, I kind of typically didn't do anything about it for about two days. And I then went to my doctor and he examined me. My chest was clear. Uh, he thought I'd probably got a virus. He offered me antibiotics. I didn't want to take antibiotics unnecessarily, so I didn't. Um, I, it then got worse. I went back to him and he tested me for COVID because he thought I might have COVID. 
uh, uh, which I didn't. Two days later, when I still wasn't feeling very well, he said, I think I'm gonna send you to a specialist um, because I'm worried that you might have long COVID and I don't know enough about it. And I went to a, see a doctor at a hospital in London and uh, he sent me off to have an X-ray and a scan. And I went back to him with the results of that. And he found that I'd got a huge amount of liquid in my um, body. And I had to go immediately and go and have a drain put in my back to drain this liquid out, which was in effect pressing my lungs and my heart upwards. And um, they did an MRI to check that the wire, this is not a very medical way of saying it, but the wire was in the correct position after I'd had that procedure. And um, I was admitted to hospital because the fluid coming out of one takes quite a long time. And uh, my appointment with the GP had been at 10 o'clock in the morning and at 6.30 at night, I was diagnosed with cancer. Although at that point they didn't know which one it was because I hadn't had a biopsy or anything, but they could see that it was a lymphoma resting on my kidneys. Did you share your health concerns with Emma when you felt unwell, but before you had those tests carried out? I can't even remember. It wasn't very concerning to me. Do you know what I mean? I just thought I'd got a, a bug or a virus or a chest infection, which I, I probably did. The only other symptom I had, which I'd had for about three months, was itching. I used to come up in these welts at night and itch, which I had seen a doctor about. I'd seen a doctor and a dermatologist about, which because they were never present when I went to when I went to see them, they thought it was, you know, a sort of um, reaction to soap powder or was a, um, you know, allergy to something. Um, but that was fairly consistent every night. So how did you get a diagnosis? This being in the time of COVID, I was alone and I had to, the doctor came in and said, you know, normally I've got very good bedside manner and normally I would hold your hand when I told you this, but I can't. Um, and he just said it straight out. Sounds really tough. I got straight on the phone first of all to my husband and said I didn't have enough courage to tell my kids. And then I rang Emma's husband because I didn't have enough courage to tell her. I didn't want her to be on her own. I didn't want her to be without him when, when she found out because I knew it would really affect her and I didn't want, I didn't tell my mother, I got my son to drive down and tell my mother. It was tough because I was then in hospital for three days. So I was kind of, um, I was alone, which in one way makes you braver. I mean, you have to kind of bite the bullet. Very difficult time. And Emma, how do you feel hearing your sister? Um, well, it was, um, I did, I did actually know she wasn't well. She did talk to me about it on and off because we had talked a huge amount during that period of time because we were both, you know, I felt very alone here and missed my family and couldn't get back. And it sounds so spoiled really, but I'd never been, I'd never imagined in my wildest dreams that I couldn't get on a plane and get back to my family. And one of the main things of moving here was I was always like oh my god there's a plane like every hour I can be back like if something happens as an emergency I can get on a flight and she had been telling me that she didn't feel well 
and that she had this itching and actually Sarah had had itching before and I was like oh that's so weird and then when she said she was breathless to be honest I thought it was COVID and I kept saying to her have you had a COVID test and she was like no and then there was one day when she just said I I can't pick um Billy up who is her latest grandson and I I kind of clocked that that was I thought oh that's so weird and it was so unlike her because she is not that person I mean she, you know some people say oh, I've never been ill and they don't really mean it but actually Sarah really hasn't ever been ill she's just a really strong person she's known as whiz in the family because she whizzes around so for her to say that I was concerned but she was seeing a doctor that I also know and really trust and so I just kind of thought well he she's in the best possible hands and then I knew she was going to see a specialist and if I'm honest I didn't think anything I didn't think anything of it other than I thought well they'll probably just diagnose it and give her something to make it better and then um I knew I hadn't heard from her and I knew she'd gone to see that specialist and I'd been thinking about it all day and I'm five hours behind here and my husband who's sort of you know work has been working from home and on zoom came down and I just I I literally knew um from the look on his face because he just had tears in his eyes and he just said I've got to tell you something and it's and it's not good and I just said I know it's something to do with Sarah and then he told me and if I'm honest my world just fell apart um in that moment and I didn't really know what to do. I actually just rang my daughter and just, who lives out here and just said, can you come over? And which she did. And I, I, um, I'm glad in a way she didn't ring me initially because I just didn't know what to say. I didn't know what, I didn't know what to do, to be honest. And I just wanted to get on a flight and be back with her. You just, it just is that, it just is a life-changing moment really because cancer just, you know, however much we know now we can live with cancer and treat cancer, it's just a very big word in anybody's family. It's a very big word for somebody to come out with and you just have to, you know, it just life changed. I mean, our lives just changed overnight. Everybody's, you know, because, you know, my children adore her. My son was in LA and I had to ring him and I couldn't get hold of him and he was, out and about when I told him he just stopped in the street and just burst into tears and it was just you know awful because I wasn't with him either and it was that awful yeah just an awful feeling really and I guess in my wildest dreams I never I never thought it was that I mean I would have bet money I just didn't think it would be that and I don't know why you know why it shouldn't happen to somebody I know than any more than anybody else's sister but I just didn't think that because it was so out of character really yeah and Sarah I know you're undergoing treatment at the moment yeah how it's going and what how it's impacting you physically and, and emotionally uh well I made a very concerted effort uh to myself I mean I made a I made a very conscious decision when I was told because being a journalist you are by nature somebody who excessively finds out and Googles and um, finds out facts. And I made a kind of promise to myself that I wasn't going to Google anything um, because I think that that can take one down a very dark hole. Um, I met my oncologist and I really liked him and I really trusted him. 
and I just decided that um, I was going to totally put my trust in him and do whatever he said and not question it and just uh, do it. Um, I'd never had an operation in my life, uh, not even a stitch. Um, and so I, the, my first session, I, I'm having to have six sessions of chemo, chemotherapy, three weeks apart. Um, and my first session the night before, the day before I'd gone to have a, uh, I think they called a portacath fitted. And so that was the first time I'd ever had an operation. And I had it, as it turned out, because there was weight. I had it quite late at night. And uh, I then started chemo quite early in the morning. I think I'm on quite strong chemo called the Red Devil, um, which is, you know, very toxic in color and, and very kind of fluorescent. So my first chemo session, uh, I was fine for about six hours. And then I got very, I, I, I kind of ticked everything that you read about in the box and was pretty ill for about six hours. But since then, they have been amazing in getting, you know, I've never felt sick. I've never felt nauseous. I've, um, I don't much enjoy being on steroids for five days after chemo. They make me a bit crazy and I don't sleep at all. Hardly. Um, I've had to do it all alone, whereas normally I wouldn't have done. Um, you know, normally I wouldn't have been in hospital alone. Normally I'd have somebody with me doing chemo. Normally I'd have my children around here. Um, I'd have my grandchildren around here. I, my husband would be taking me to hospital. Emma would have flown back. So yeah. cancer during COVID is quite a, and during lockdown, is quite a different kettle of fish quite and also just having to be kind of doubly careful not to get ill yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and that is an added kind of roll of the dice um and i have to say that i genuinely the nurses and doctors i think have to a man and woman have really taken that on board and have just been so exceptionally um kind and accommodating to that Mm -hmm. um you know at a time which must be unbelievably stressful for them um but otherwise i think i have coped pretty well i think you have to have a positive attitude i think you have to really trust your team of doctors and nurses you sort of have no choice i mean you can either kind of collapse under it or you can just move forward I'm somebody who's always loved life. I've got a fantastic family. I just want to get better as quickly as possible and I'll do whatever it takes. I mean, I lost my hair in 14 days, which I'm sure every hair on my body, which I'm sure is a sort of record. That was quite, that wasn't the nicest thing in the world. I had a lot of hair and long hair, but you know, I try and keep myself busy. I go for walks every day. I eat really well um, and you know, I'm halfway through. So hopefully I'm, I'm kind of reaching the end game, I hope. And when you have down moments, and I'm sure as you were losing your hair must have been, even yeah. if you're expecting it, it still yeah. comes as a shock, doesn't it? Who would you turn to? Do you have somebody that you turn to when you feel like you need that emotional support or just to talk through how you're feeling? I... I started writing a book kind of the minute I was diagnosed and I've actually found that that's been the getting onto paper 
my emotions has helped hugely. It's sort of hard to share with somebody who hasn't been through it. I've got a great friend who's been through, uh, is going through cancer, who has cancer, who also lost her hair. Um, I found that the kind of hair issue, I've had an incredible amount of support, weirdly, from strangers. I've been very open with my diagnosis on Instagram and things like that. And I've been contacted by so many fellow cancer sufferers that's just blown me away at the kind of reaching out to a complete stranger with endless kind of tips and, and whatever. I mean, the great thing is I've always been able to laugh with Emma. So I, I'm not very good at somebody kind of pandering, if you like, to me. I, I quite like just to be diverted and to, uh, just to somebody to take the piss out of me, really. <laughs> and, and Emma, I can see, you know, you obviously <laughs> want to support your sister. Can you vocalise how you feel listening to her and, and being so far away? And can you explain a little bit about how you'd like to support your sister? Basically, when it happened, I realised that, I mean, you know, you just realise that nothing else in the world matters. I mean, nothing, nothing else in the world matters to me right now than her getting better. I mean, that's my kind of reason for me living is to get her better. And, uh, and so I sort of had to think about what, I'm a real fixer and a doer, and Sarah would say this and would take the piss out of me. Like, I like organizing things and I like to be able to tick boxes. So for me, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, like, what can I do? What can I do? And I, I guess for me, I kind of thought, I can't fix this. Like, I can't, there's nothing really I can do. But what I can do is just take her lead on it. And I basically said to her, I will do this in any way that you want me to do it. Like, if you, you know, whatever you say goes. And I realized that actually, I guess my role was to really not be the person because I, I, I actually have had operations and things in my life and I've had more illness than Sarah, if you like. And I, I do know that it is really annoying when people just keep talking to you about that and that becomes their main topic. So that if you're not feeling well, somebody every day going, how do you feel though? Did, did you sleep last night? Do you think you feel a little bit better than yesterday or a little bit worse? It's almost irritating. And so I thought I won't be that person. I basically said to her, I'm here 24 seven and you can laugh with me, cry with me. We can talk about it, not talk about it. And it's really weird because it just sort of then was never an issue. I think really, she rings me from hospital beds. She's quite right. We found really dark humor, like, you know, just before her first operation, the anesthetist going in going, is there any chance you could be pregnant? You know, she rang me and went, can you believe that in the midst of this, that that's what they've asked me at 61? And we've laughed about stuff and I've met the chemo nurse on on Zoom and we've we have cried together and we've had some scary moments together when things, you know, but but I think I and I hope that my role is just to be that kind of completely consistent 24 seven support, but in whatever it's her call. Like, and it's not because she's the older sister, it's her call. Like, I, I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to be irritating. I want to be somebody that she just knows is there in whatever shape or form that takes. I would rather physically be there. And I've looked into every angle of how I did that. But obviously, as it was during COVID, there was no physical way of me being there safely. So I, I basically thought my mission from a distance would be to find things every week. I send a parcel a week and it's sort of my 
joy of the week, if you like, because I've done everything from, I found two rocks on the beach, one big, one small, that are, if, if anybody remembers pet rocks, and I, I drew little faces on them, I'm like, you and me, and take these to chemo. So I said ridiculous things like that. I found coloring books that where you color in swear words for the bad days. I have found chewing gum that's good for a dry mouth. And I go in places and I just try and find things. And then when she lost her hair, I just thought there's nothing worse than just when you're not well, people sending you like not well gifts. Do you know what I mean? Things that make you feel even worse. So I bought her brightly colored beanies or fun hats or things like that. And then I made her laugh hysterically one week because I was watching a shopping challenge and I bought a wig and I was so excited. And when I got it, I just said to her, I said to note going, do not go near a candle. I've never, I'm, it was so flammable and we had a laugh. So I try and send, you know, just funny things. And I think that sort of helps me in a way because it makes me feel like I'm, I'm not doing anything because I'm not physically there, but I'm sort of doing something from afar, which might make her laugh. Thank God we have Zoom and text and WhatsApp and can send each other stuff and keep in, in contact. And funnily enough, the time difference really worked in our favor because as she said, the, the time that's I think always hard for anybody going through anything is that time in the middle of the night. I mean, I always think it's always like children get sick at three o'clock in the morning. They don't do it at 9 a.m. when it would be convenient. And I think that when you're not well, you kind of feel worse and one's mind races at two in the morning. And particularly when she's on steroids and can't sleep, the time difference means that I'm always awake. So I'm always, I can, I can be a 24 hour therapist because I am always around at her times that she's awake. I've really just been guided by her. And I think that the people that have been amazing in her life are the people that have done the same. And as I say, I've been blown, I've been blown away by the kindness of strangers. Um, and I sort of took a leaf out of her book. I decided not to Google it either. I'm a different sort of journalist, but I'm very, into medical, like I like medical things. I liked watching Grey's Anatomy. I liked ER, I, I like all of that. And I thought I, I could go down a very big rabbit hole. And I decided for probably the first time in my life to stay very in the moment and go with her. I've met her doctor via listening to him on a phone call and I like him and she trusts him. So I'm like, I'm going with your flow on this. And so I'm not gonna question it. So I actually haven't deep dived and Googled. The only thing I did was find your charity. And I did it because I wanted to find something where I felt I could give back, you know, that where it might help somebody else. I knew Sarah would feel passionately about that too. And I thought there must be somewhere where there's support not necessarily like information that's scary or terrifying but just a sort of support network and so I did google till I found you guys and as I said you came up first on my google search that's good to know and have you found our information or our support helpful Emma I I really have and as somebody who is the you know supporter or the sideline to this I have found it really helpful. I think you do it, you know, it's been really, it's it's clear, it's for the layman. It's not in sort of medical language that I don't understand. And it's really in its upbeat and it's positive and it's all those things that you, that, you, that I think you need, everybody needs. Sarah, can I ask you, um, I'm just interested, as somebody who's undergoing treatment, do you find that you protect your family at all by not telling them things or are you very open and honest? Is that the way? Um, I'm pretty open and honest. I mean, you know, it's hard to kind of say this retrospectively, but, but because of the times that we're living in, 
um, they haven't really been able to be involved as much as they would have done um, under normal times because I haven't been able to see them. So they've, they've been as supportive as they possibly can in many, many ways. But I'm sure everybody in my family would be physically supportive were they able to. We set up a group yeah. WhatsApp chat with, I set it up with Sarah's children, her three grown-up children and my two children and we set up a little whatsapp group so that we could just keep in touch and we just sort of check in with each other and I go everybody okay and her daughter will kind of go I've dropped off the soup and I'll go okay does anybody you know and we sort of have like a little kind of and it's a separate network and I I feel very maternal to her children so I kind of check in and go is everybody okay I'm here if you need me kind of thing so that we've got like a little group within a group I mean she's not excluded from it because we're not <laughs> we're only saying lovely things but I just I've kept a separate little group so that they feel they've, they've got someone they can chat to as well probably one of our biggest challenges has been sort of placating um our mother if you like because she is of that generation at 86 where you say the word cancer and she's terrified and her own mother died of cancer when she was very young and so she doesn't have good memories of it because I'm quite sure then that wasn't, you know, she doesn't even know what cancer it was because it was pre-MRI, you know, so she doesn't have a good picture of cancer. And I think that for any family going through it, I think actually it's the, you know, because the lower generations, like my sister's kids and my kids who are sort of age 30 down to 21, um, you know, there's, super positive about things like cancer like they're, they're the generations coming up where they believe it'll be cured in their lifetime which pray god it is and they're much more like no this you know she'll absolutely get through it this is the but that other generation they're quite hard to because they're not internet savvy to to find support groups and so it's quite a challenge to i guess comfort a parent of somebody going through it because um I think they don't, not, not willingly, but I think they're very frightened. And I think that that's, that's, it's something you have to try and sort of manage, for want of a better word. And do you think this has changed your relationship in any way? Um, I think it's probably made it more precious. I would agree. I think, I think what it's done is taken out any of the stuff that didn't matter, you know, any kind of things where we were different or it would be you know or I'd be annoying or whatever I think it just makes you value it so much more I mean I'm so thankful to have a sister and I think it's made us closer I think it it, it has definitely made it more precious and it's it's made me appreciate time more it made me really think about how important it is to to have that sort of physical time together is there anything you would say to somebody who's in a similar situation to yourself? As regards to cancer itself, I, I agree with what Emma said earlier. It's a very evocative, understandably scary word. I hope, you know, I'd always like to talk to anybody that is very scared because I think that if you're very frightened, it's harmful rather than beneficial. Being scared of it is, is something that... I certainly was before I 
got into the system of having it and and I think that it uh, having it almost demystifies it and you know I think treatment has changed very much in recent times and um, is certainly not the terrifying thing it was for say our mother's generation. I feel very strongly about that. I, I really do. I think that it's um, it's not pleasant, um, but it, it, it is copable with. And I, I think that it gives you a, a completely different outlook on life. And I think it makes you appreciate all the things that you knew you should appreciate, but sometimes you don't take the time to. And I think from my perspective or as a family member watching somebody you love go through it, I think Sarah was quite right. It demystified it for me. I've been, I've sort of learned so much through her treatment, if you like, it's alleviate, her treatment has alleviated so much of my fear of the, you know, and seeing that, but I've also seen how her attitude has um, transformed her treatment. I've seen how important it is to have the right support. And I guess it's made, you know, my advice to anybody else as a, as a sister or a brother or as a mother, and we going through it, is try to take their lead rather than letting your fear enter their treatment. Because I think if you take their lead and you go on that with them, and I'm not saying be overly positive and cheery, there have been moments when I've cried to Sarah, but I think actually, if you can just kind of go with their ebb and flow of it, and kind of go, oh, today's a bad day, but my God, did you watch that TV program last night? Blah, blah, blah. And just kind of still continue in the same way and also look to the future. I think there's also a lot to be said. We do a lot of plotting and planning for future parties and gatherings. And, and there's something kind of joyous about that too, because I do think, you know, that cancer, as my sister said, you know, compared to like our mother's generation, you know it's come on in leaps and bounds it is treatable it's curable it's livable with it's livable without you can get beyond it you can you know so I think and I think there are so many people out there that are that are helping to do that and to get that voice for it but I think it's just very important to just try and be as supportive as you can but in the way that the patient wants you to be. Emma and Sarah it's been a, a real pleasure thank you very much for speaking oh, thank with you. us. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. For more information about lymphoma and the support we can offer to people affected by the condition, please visit the Lymphoma Action website at www.lymphoma-action.org.uk. Lymphoma Action. Inform. Support. Connect.